0: Welcome to Infuse Church Online. My name is Taylor and welcome to a brand new series we're kicking off today called Home for Christmas. Now, if you are a regular Infused Church Online viewer, I would invite you to reach out to me, tell me who you are, where you're at, a little bit about yourself, because we have some awesome things happening for our online viewers next year, and we want you to be a part of it. And so if that's you, or you're thinking about maybe more regularly attending online, we would love to chat with you. So please email me at taylor at infuse.church. That's taylor at so we can connect and talk about what's happening online at Infused Church. Now today, I'm going to be telling a version of the Christmas story that you've probably never heard before, so I'm glad you're here to hear about it. So first, I want to welcome those watching online uh, and, of course, all of you in the room uh, to our new series that we're going to do for the next four weeks called Home for Christmas. Um, now, I don't know how all of your Q&A went with uh, your neighbor. Um, personally, I'm not a huge decorator. Uh, I like to enjoy the decorations. I just don't like putting them up. Okay? I like the smell of the tree. I just don't always necessarily like the whole trip and process of going to get it. I like the lights. I just don't like putting them up or tearing them down. Anybody else kind of in that boat? Okay, two people. What? What is with the two people today? Um, okay. Okay. It's fine. All right. Um, so uh, I just wanted to kind of ask you all, um, why, why do you decorate your home? I mean, you've always done it. Maybe you've done it for years. Maybe your parents did it. I'm just kind of curious why you decorate your home, okay? So, and this is, this is participation, okay? So you can raise your hand. That is completely acceptable. Hopefully more than two of you participate in this. Otherwise, this would be a short poll. Okay. How many of you don't decorate for Christmas? Okay. But. Okay, wow. Some of you are way too excited about that. Uh, I am sorry. Sorry. I'm just sorry. Okay, how many of you do it because you have so much fun? I mean, you just have fun. Like, it's just exciting. Okay, couple of you. Awesome. How many of it? It's just a tradition. You don't know why you've done it. You just always do it, and so you just keep doing it. Because why, you know, mess with the system? That's fair. Appreciate it. A lot of people on the right-hand side don't know why, but that's cool. How many of you, you spent the money on it, so you might as well put them up already? Okay. Yep. You can answer multiple times. It's fun. How many of you uh, just simply do it, especially on the outside of your house, for none other reason than to just impress your neighbors? <laughs> Seriously, none of you? Really? Okay. Wow. All right. Or maybe those people just aren't here. That's fine too. Um, you know, I just always think it's interesting when you see homes that look like this in this next this next shot. Home, you know, homes like that. You know what I'm saying? Like if this is your house so many questions. Like, why? You know? Like, you think it's awesome, but then you have to spend a bunch of money on blackout curtains, and your whole neighborhood has to do, too, just to get some sleep, because your house is like the sun, okay? Um, But, and this is, by the way, I think the only motivator to do this is, like, to impress your neighbors or to show off, like, really, like, for your kids. Your kids can't even get in the home. Santa's sitting right in there in the garage. Okay. (laughs) Anyways. I just thought it was kind of interesting as I thought about our homes and coming home for Christmas and making a big deal of that and celebrating and decorating it. Like, why? Why do we decorate? You know, we, we, we take one month of the year, set all this stuff up just to take it down and then store it for another 11 months. Some of you are like, well, you we put it that way. Now I feel bad, you know? Like, it's kind of strange that we would spend all this money on something just for simply one month. And then some of you are like, well, I mean, we celebrate Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus didn't say to do that. Like, Jesus didn't say go out to Target and get the deal on lights this week, you know? So can't exactly use that. Um, What else, you know? What makes your home so special, so worth decorating, especially around the holidays, you know? Why not your car? Some of you are like, well, I put little antlers in the windows. Yeah, but compared to your house, you don't decorate your car, but you decorate your house. Why do you do that? Now, I think part of the reason is because the home, our homes are just kind of so important um, to, to us. In fact, we have phrases that describe how significant important our homes are. Okay, so we'll do a little fill in the blank here. Um, some of you, hopefully most of you know this one. There's no place like home. Yep, I think you're going to pick up on how to do this, okay, by the way. All right, this next one, okay, Blank is where the heart is. Yep, okay, next one. Yeah, that's good. You just had to fill in the blank, but that's fine. You did the middle part too. That's good. Okay, and then this one. It's home for Christmas. He just sang it, okay. All right, I don't know why we're disagreeing on this. Okay, now, why is this important? Like, all jokes aside, isn't this interesting that we literally have a song that's all about just, just being at home, right? That, that no matter what it takes, you're going to spend the, the, the amount of money you need to spend, the work you got to spend, take the time off, just so that you will be home for Christmas. Why is that so important? Last year, uh, according to AAA, 112 million Americans traveled for christmas that's like a third of the country went somewhere for christmas like not even a third of the country well not a third of the country probably is still christian but the amount of people who consider themselves christians is on the decline yet we do more traveling and work and invest more in the holiday that celebrates the faith that we have less of it's just kind of this interesting thing why do we go to such great lengths to go to someone's home, to be at home, to decorate our home. Why is that so important? This is, this is what I do when I prep messages. I just sit here and contemplate these deep questions. Here's what I could come up with, and, and maybe you'd agree with it. You don't have to, but this was my guess. is because we want to make the gathering of people we care most about special. We want to make the gathering of people who come near and far to spend time with us or that we go to to spend time with, we want to make it special. We want to show our kit. We want to show our kids all the lights and decorations. I think that was a huge motivator for my parents, and they keep it going even though we're not there anymore. Okay, um, and, or maybe just to do that activity with your spouse and to build a home and and have that homey feeling with your with your spouse, or to show off to your friends, or to invite your friends over, and and it's worth it because we care about these people, and if it takes all week long to decorate our house, we will do it. And if we have to store it for 11 months, we'll do it just for those few hours. I mean, seriously, for few hours that we get with family. It's worth making it just that little bit more special. And I think part of the reason why that is, is because relationships make home a home. Relationships make a home a home. A home where our heart is, where there's no place like it, is not so much about the physical place, is it, as it is the people who are in that place, right? Like, it's why you can move, and you, you still consider the place that you live your home, even though you lived in a different place, maybe even longer, because it doesn't matter, because the people you care about most are there. It's like the exercise we just did and do every single Sunday. The church is not a billionaire place, it's the people. Why? Because it's the people that make the church the church, just like it is your home is not defined by the physical structure as it is the people who occupy it. And it's why on Christmas we want to be together. We go near and far to be together because we want to be maybe in the home we were raised in or be around the people we were raised by to go to where our family is because that's where home is for us. And you know this by the opposite, too, that you may avoid certain places, or you may consider places not to be your home because of the people whom are there and the relationship, how that relationship has changed over the years. Maybe it's, it has become more negative, and so now what used to be a home for you is no longer a home, and so you avoid it. But the goal ultimately is to be together, right? Because relationships. Are most important. That's why we consider it kind of a, a bummer if someone is alone on Christmas. Somebody isn't with family. We, th- we culturally, we think of that as a negative thing, because at least once a year, deep down, there's some part of us that just says we should gather. We should be with people we care about most, and I think that's because relationships are what make a home a home. And then I got to think about this, and I thought, this is why, or this is in part, I think, interesting, given the fact that we gather to celebrate. We gather as families. We gather as friends. We exchange gifts. We dress up. We we decorate to celebrate, in its origin at least, a little baby's birth. Right? We get together to celebrate a little baby's birth. But if you think of the Christmas story, maybe you're not too familiar with the Christmas story, and we'll kind of update you a little bit today, but if if you knew or know the Christmas story, you know the Christmas story is anything like, is not anything like our Christmases today. You got, we're celebrating a little baby's birth in a barn far from his home without any family, just mom, dad, and baby, and no support. And then how do we celebrate that? Christmas lights, food, you know, we could party, and all this kinds of stuff. And yet, Jesus didn't have any of that in the Christmas story that we know. It's different, right? Isn't that interesting? So, essentially, here's my point today, is that um, if you are a Jesus follower, then you should celebrate his birth like he did. In a barn, far from home without family and support. If you're a real Jesus follower. It's like, Taylor, this is why I left the church. You pastors are crazy. No, I'm just joking, okay? Part of my main point, in fact, today, part of what we're going to talk about today is how this, this part right here, isn't probably how the Christmas story actually went. That actually, Jesus and Mary and Joseph felt... A lot more at home than they felt in a barn, because they actually weren't in a barn or a stable. And they probably felt more supported than alone, because chances are they were with family. However distant it may have been, there was family there. Because today, I want to tell you probably a version of the Christmas story that is not your traditional Christmas story, I want to tell you a Christmas story adjusting for translation errors, culture, and what we've discovered with archaeology. And that may sound a little dry and a little boring, but I think you may find it kind of interesting. Now, the reason I'm doing that is not just to tell you a different Christmas story. It's not because I just made it up. It's because, one, I think it's a little bit more accurate. And if I could, and this is kind of a side message, so if you just kind of like that that message, and then we're going to start a little sermon, mini sermon for just a second, okay? I recognize um, today that uh, we have social media. I don't know if you know that, noticed that. And I've noticed on social media, especially around Christmas time, is I get a lot of posts, or even organizations, or you know, pages that I like about. Uh, articles and stories that kind of poke holes in our traditional understanding of the Christmas story. Have you ever had that before? And so, uh, even like, I think I shared this last year, like National Geographic posted about, like, how, how um, things, uh, I can't remember how it all went, but like, Jesus's birth wasn't in December or something like that. And it's like, why was that necessary? Like, that's not that very National Geographic, but it's there nonetheless. And so I just want to, hopefully today, inform you and not irritate you. Because I recognize by modifying or changing the version of the Christmas story that you grew up with, and I'm not talking the Christmas story of the movie, right? I'm talking about Jesus' Christmas story, okay? Okay. By changing that, it could kind of mess with something that's very special to you. And so I just want to say, one, it is very acceptable if you walk out here today and you're like, well, I'm just going to continue to believe and remember the Christmas story as I grew up and was told it growing up. And that is completely acceptable. However, I don't know if I could go forward preaching that quite the same way anymore just out of honesty. And I just want to be honest with you. And two, because I don't want you to learn about Christian history from social media. I'd rather you learn it from me, okay? Because I think sometimes, especially lately, people start to post these things to freak Christians out. You know, they're like, oh, there's no donkey, or, you know, he's not born on Christmas, or, you know, Christmas trees are actually a pagan symbol, and it's like kind of all true, but that's not the point. Nor is our Christian faith based on a Christmas tree, or a donkey, or the, bir- the actual day of birth of Jesus. And so I want you to learn Christian history, hopefully, from a better way, or at least hopefully it's a better way. And also, you know, I was thinking about this. Even if you aren't on Facebook and you're not getting these posts and things like this, your kids are, and your kids will. And then they'll come to you with questions about a story that you told them or they heard in church, and they're going to say, but this is not what this article says, and it's going to cause some upsettedness. It's not even a word, but we'll just use it for today. And I know that because that's what happened in my life. And in part, that's why I walked away from faith. And so I want to, at least for the future generation's sake, want to inform you of perhaps how the Christmas story really went down and hopefully help you to understand kind of maybe a little bit better what God was actually getting out, because I think it was, it's actually kind of a beautiful version, okay? So that ends the mini-message, mini okay, and then we're back into the main message, okay? So I'm going to tell you the Christmas story. We're going to do it from the, the book of Luke Um, chapter 2, and Luke was a guy who said, I thoroughly researched all this, and I just wanted to tell you, as many people have done, I wanted to tell you the version of the Christmas story of the story of Jesus as best as I could after talking to all these people. Luke was a doctor. He was very meticulous, and so he informs us of the Christmas story, okay? And here's how the first bit of the Christmas story goes. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Rome was the, the, the world empire at the time. Okay? They were in charge. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Bottom line that you need to know about this, Rome cared most, uh, more about anything else than they did taxes. They love their money. Money, 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 money. Okay, we just got done with a series about it. And if you love money, you should check out the series. It was very informative and challenging. But anywho, um, so Rome wanted to make sure that everybody was getting taxed appropriately, okay? And so to do this, they made everybody go back to their ancestral town to count them, okay? And so in comes this guy named Joseph, and, um, uh, and because everyone had to go to their own town to register, so Joseph uh, went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, that's the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. So essentially, Joseph, Mary and Joseph, Joseph who was Jesus's like stepdad of sorts, like he wasn't his biological father, because that was God, but it gets messy. So anyways, Joseph had to go to his hometown, which was Bethlehem, because that's where David, David, David and Goliath David, King David was from, and and Joseph was a descendant of David, so he had to go to David's hometown to be counted in this census, okay? And so uh, he went there to register, the story goes on, With Mary, whom he was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. In other words, they were going to have a baby, and they were not married. Scandalous, okay? Not so much maybe now, but it certainly was a huge deal then. And so you can imagine at this point Mary and Joseph's relationship, because they're not even married yet, and Mary comes to Joseph and is like, hey Joseph, I'm already pregnant. And Joseph's like, how's that possible? And he's like, and she's like, God. (laughs) And Joseph's like, sure. Okay but somehow, you know, they worked it out, okay, and they're still together, okay, and now Mar- and Joseph is now going to take Mary to his hometown in Bethlehem from Nazareth, okay, all right, so um, just like you kind of don't want to go to your in-laws, this was probably a very tense uh, drive or walk to, uh, to, to, to uh, Bethlehem, okay, and so they start going, okay, so they're up here in Nazareth, and they're going to walk all the way down here to the very bottom right there, in Bethlehem. Now, um, as I said earlier, there was no donkey, so they walked the whole way. She's pregnant, okay? I just want you to consider walking to your Christmases this year, okay? Wherever you got to go for Christmas, you just walk there, okay? And you will get an idea of probably how this went, all right? It was probably not that fun, okay? Now, traditionally, what happens next? They get to Bethlehem, and what does Joseph go and do, and Mary go and do? They try to find what? Yeah, they try to find an inn. They try to find a place to stay. And is there room in that inn? No, this is not a trick question, okay? No, yeah, there is no room in the inn, okay? And so they have to go to, you know, stable, barn, something like that. Essentially somewhere that had a manger, right? And that's where they had to have baby Jesus. And that's a tradition that we, most of us, grew up with. And here's how Luke says it in his account. Continuing in chapter two, verse seven, six and seven. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver the child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And then this is how that looked, right? Next, next one, yeah, there, just like that, right? That's how that looked. This is also available on Home Depot for nineteen ninety nine. I don't know why Home Depot came up first. I wouldn't think Nativity and Home Depot, but here you have it, and everybody's happy in the stable, and that is the Christmas story. No decorations, no family, no friend, and certainly it doesn't feel like a home for Christmas, right? Except for the fact that there were no such things as inns in those days, especially in a small little town of Bethlehem. Maybe in Rome, but not in podunk little Bethlehem. There were no inns. In fact, that word in is a little bit of a translation issue. As I said, we're adjusting for translation issues. That is a translation issue. In fact, if we go to the next slide, it's really this Greek word right here, uh, katalama which means guest room. And guest room doesn't necessarily have to be in an inn, does it? In fact, this guest room was in somebody's house. Because there, this word, in fact, is used in two other places in the gospel accounts and Jesus. In fact, Jesus actually says it one day in his ministry. He's like, where is my guest room? It was in someone's house. You can go check it out in the, in the, in the gospel account of Mark. The other thing, too, is culturally in those days, there was a law, a law from God that said you had to be hospitable to your Jewish brothers and sisters. If you were Jewish, you had to open up your home and invite them in. And so especially a nine-month pregnant Mary walking into Bethlehem would have no issue getting at least some space in someone's house. And more likely than not, it wasn't just some random somebody's house. It was probably someone that Joseph knew or at least was distantly related to. Because people wouldn't travel large distances if they didn't have a place or people to go to, or at least friends of a friend to go to. And because this is Joseph's hometown, where he is a distant relation of, there are more than likely not descendants of David whom he is relationally connected to that own a home there, and he would have more than likely stayed with them. This is just the cultural norm for those days. And so they would have shown up in Bethlehem, not looking for an inn, but looking for a home like this. This is a first century home. And this isn't just some made up. This is an archaeological rendering of a home in those days. And how do we know that? Because you can go and stand in first century homes today in Israel. I've stood in them. Okay? Their foundation is still there, and they can determine a lot from how homes were built and constructed. In fact, we're going to spend some time talking about it over the next couple weeks. This is the home that they more than likely would have walked into. And I want to highlight something. If there was a guest room, it would probably have been up here on the second floor. Okay, But if there was no guest room, if all the guest rooms were full, right? there was no room in the guest room, they would have probably stayed down here in the main section of the house, The courtyard area, okay, next to the kitchen, that's where they would have stayed. And then I want to highlight another thing. Do you see that guy right there? It's kind of bigger on the screen, okay? And you see this right here? There's animals in their homes. In fact, there were often what was considered more likely uh, utility rooms or like a garage, our version of a garage in homes, where they would have brought their animals in for the night so they wouldn't get stolen. They would have brought their animals in in the, in the, uh, in the cool of winter to keep the house more warm and to protect, uh, the, and to protect their flocks or, or their livestock, because their livestock was, was their well-being, was their food, was their income. And so it was very, very important to them, so it was worth having in their home. And so when it came time to deliver a baby in those days, what would happen, in fact, not even those days, for literally centuries going forward, this was not just in those days, because things have not changed that much. If you go over to modern day Israel and you go through Palestine, homes were very multi-roomed, very multi-generational, just like this. They're just a little bit more modern. When it came time to give birth, where would you have a baby? Upstairs in the guest rooms? In the kitchen or where the animals are? Where the manger is to feed the animals. Because culturally, there was a law against the uncleanliness that was blood. And there is just something that goes along with childbirth there's some blood. And if you got blood on your hands, you were unclean for a certain amount of time and you had to go through a ritual cleansing. And so they would try to isolate the unclean things in the house to a certain area. And so when it came time for delivery, uh, parents would move, or they would move the mother into the place where the animals were to get that messy more than anything else. So baby Jesus is delivered. And where do you think they put a baby once they're delivered? In the kitchen? In the guest room? No, they put that baby in a manger. And with that as a backdrop, imagine on Christmas night, Mary and Joseph, not alone, but with family. Perhaps distant family, but family. And this was a big deal to have a baby because mortality rates were super high. So if you were successfully able to have a child, especially a male child, this was a big deal. The town knew about it. There would have been midwives there. There would have been support there. They were not alone. This idea that they just had to deli- you know, Joseph's just sitting there like, yeah, I'll be the, the delivery doctor for today, Mary, and I'll just take care of this. Like, I'm telling you, at 24, 25, I would not have been ready for that, okay? Okay? And they didn't have to because they weren't alone for this very, very important event of bringing this child into the world. And when you put it in this framework, I don't know about you, and you can process this, but when I first read through all of this, I realized, honestly, this is a lot more realistic than maybe the tradition that we're raised to believe. Not that it was bad or there was anything wrong. It's just this one seems a little bit more like a family. This one seems a little bit more like a home. In fact, this is what I love about this story. This is what I love about this Christmas story. And this is why I wanted to tell you, adjusted for culture and relationship, not to ruin what you were brought up to believe, but to help inform you. Is because this mirrors what God was doing through Jesus in this moment. It mirrors, it's like a mini-version of the Christmas story with Mary and Joseph's life and this moment. Because it's all about relationship. It's all about home. See, the story starts... The story starts with strain. You got Mary, you got Joseph, and they're going through some things like, really, was it God's child or not God's child? Because it's more than likely not God's child, but you're telling me it's God's child. Then luckily, he talks to an angel and works those things out. But, but until that, you know, it's kind of like, what? Um, and it's just easier at that point, you know, any time there's relationship strain in a family or in a relationship, it's just easier to just break it off and just stay home. Like, we're not traveling. We're not going anywhere for the holidays, right? Yet, they did. They made the journey together, even though there was relational strain. And how much that mirrors God's relationship with us, at least this is what we believe as Christians, that that God's relationship with us is so strained by by sin, by the fact that we ignore God, we disobey God, we use God. Like, we've all done that. We've all prayed. It's like, hey God, you haven't heard from me in a long time, but I could sure use your help with this problem. Or could you fix him? Or could you fix her? I'm not even sure if you're there, but if you are, could you help me out? You just take advantage of him, you know? We certainly fall short when it comes to loving God, or certainly fall short when it comes to loving our neighbor. And God is so displeased, so hurt by that, by our decision to disobey, to miss the mark with him, which is what sin is. But even though the relationship is strained, God just didn't blow it off. God just didn't stay home. God just didn't ba humbug and leave us all alone. He traveled to be with us, i.e., 30 years to grow up to be whom we know as Jesus into adulthood. Not to get a bunch of presents and then just leave, not to eat all our food, hang out, and then leave. And not to just come and be alone or apart from us, like God just sitting up on his mighty throne, Jesus sitting up on his mighty throne, I'm I'm God and you are not and I'm just going to rule you and all that stuff. No. Jesus came from the moment he entered in the world to be in community. Not to be served, but to serve. He came to fix the relationship. He didn't avoid the relationship. He put such an emphasis on relationship, which, as we said at the beginning, is the reason that home feels like home, is because of the relationships we have in it. God came home on Christmas. God left heaven to come home. Not home because earth is his home, but because the people he loves most, not in terms of place, but in terms of people. And the people he loves most are here. The people who he cares about most are here. The people whom he wants to have a relationship with are here. So he came here to be with us. John, one of Jesus's closest disciples, there was three that were the closest of Jesus's disciples John, who followed Jesus for three years, John, who took care of Mary. Jesus said, John, I want you to take care of Mary. I'm about to die. And then he came back and then he went into heaven. John, who took care of the mother of Jesus, maybe even for the rest of her life, John says this about Jesus. As he looked back and reflected years later on his experiences with Jesus, this is how he described Jesus. He said, It was as if God, the Word, became flesh, became human. Not to just hang out for a couple hours, eat the food, and leave, but made his dwelling, made his home, his his residence, the Word is tabernacled, he resided here. Why? Because you're worth it because you are all worth it to God. And I understand there are points in our lives where we feel very distant from God, maybe because of our own decisions or decisions that other people have made and that we've made in the past and we've got lost and we've got off track and we've wondered where God is and can God help and can God fix. And I understand how that feels. But this story shows that he's been here. He is here. John says, I saw him, God in human form, making his home among us because he cares that much about us. To all who believed in him, John said, to all who believed in him, Jesus, and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. He invited you into his family. He invited you to be his children. I mean, imagine God on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Y'all get your families together, okay? Imagine as best as you can. It's, it's hard to do, but just imagine that God is in the room on Christmas Day with you and your family. Sitting there. Smiling. As he watches his children spend time together. And he's smiling because he's spending that time with them too. Because he loves you. And he wants to be with you. He's the kind of parent, if you didn't know, he's the kind of parent who would die for his children. In fact, he did. In fact, that's in part why Jesus came. To be born into love and into a relationship, into a community. To show a community. In fact, to build a community. It's called the church. And then to show his ultimate, God's ultimate love for his children. To reconcile that relationship. So that his children could one day come to a heavenly place and dwell with their heavenly father. So I just want to ask you, and I want you to think about for the next week until we come back next Sunday, I want you to think about what that story says about God. What that story says about God. See, it begins with Jesus. Not alone, not far from home, but in more of a relationship and a community than we have ever assumed maybe. And in so doing, it almost mirrors what God was trying to get across to us. Is that he's coming to dwell to be with us. What does that story say about God? Now, if you're not a Christian, you've got to wrestle with this. I mean, what do you think? What do you think about someone who leaves their home and their home is heaven to come to you? To be with you. And you say, well, Taylor, I live in Iowa and I was like heaven. <laughs> <clears throat> Movie quotes aside, what does that say about a God? To make their home with you. Where does it say their priorities? God's priorities reside. Where does it say his priorities reside? I think the best way to say it is the home is where the heart is. And God's heart is right here. God's heart is right here. And so my encouragement to you, if you're not sure where you land with this whole God thing, is to go back and read Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. Download the app, it's free, or, or grab a Bible on your way out. And maybe just pray to your Heavenly Father and say, Hey Lord, what is it you want to tell me? Why did you come? Why were you here? Was Jesus real? And what does that mean if he is? And then come back next week. Because next week we're going to get really practical to help you navigate your current relationships, but also so that you can understand a little bit of why we as a church are even here. And then the next week after that we're going to celebrate baptisms, and so you get to see what following Jesus, what putting your trust in Jesus to become a child of God actually looks like and how it changes people's lives. And then the last Sunday we're going to be talking about, the Sunday before Christmas, we're going to be talking about where we're going as a church and what we're going to do as a church to make a home for more people. And if you're a Christian, this, I think, is still applicable to you. What does it say about your Father in heaven, and perhaps maybe how have you forgotten that over the years of following him? And, and how have you been living this out? Have you been living out a faith that says, my God came to be with me despite all relational issues, despite the sin of the world? And have you been going out of your way like God went out of his to reconcile those relationships? I think Christmas, even though it's a time in which we tend to avoid the relational issues, is a great time to engage with the relational issues in honor of what God did for us. If you would bow your heads, pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the uh, faith of Mary and Joseph, to walk miles, to go to a home, to trust in you, and to bring your love into this world. That's why Jesus came, because you so loved the world that you wanted to save it. That Jesus came not to condemn it, but to love it. And I thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray over the next couple of days as we enter into the season of Christmas and before our next week that we gather together that you would help us to process what this says about God. What does it say about you? That you came to be with us, to be relational, to be at home with us from day one. You came into a home to dwell among us. How can we learn from that. How does that impact us? Maybe how should that change us and change our hearts? Maybe we've been running from that love for a long time, and maybe it's just time for us to come home to be with you. Help us this week as we process that. Challenge us this week as we process that. Encourage us and give us the strength to wrestle with that as we work through the next four weeks of this series. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today in the part one of our series, Home for Christmas. My hope is that you would leave today challenged to consider who God is and what he hopes for you and your life. That he hopes to have a relationship with you and he went pretty far out of his way to do that. And I hope that you would work on this week maybe a prayer or maybe reading through the Gospel of Luke to better understand who God is and the relationship He wants to have with you. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next week.